Tuesday morning to you, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon Podcast. Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on June 19th, 2010, under the headline, Portland was the Shanghai capital of the world in 1890s. Here we go. You'd never know it from looking around the Pearl District of Portland today, but a little over 100 years ago, this was the most dangerous place on the West Coast to go out drinking. The risk wasn't so much death or injury, though. It was the risk of waking up the next morning on board a bark headed for China with an angry first mate screaming at you to get up and get to work, and probably kicking you in the ribs, too. Not many people know it, but at the end of the 1800s, Portland was the most notorious city in the Western Hemisphere for the practice known today as crimping, after a Dutch word for a holding pen for fish. Crimping involved opening a boarding house and extending credit to sailors and unemployed loggers and hobos, letting them run up the tab until they couldn't pay, except by going to sea as a deckhand on a sailing ship. Soon the time would come when the resident would have to either pay up or go to sea, and they'd be forced to go to sea, and the crimp, or boarding house owner, they called themselves boarding masters, would then get paid out of an advance against the new sailor's pay. When a ship needed a man or two and there wasn't one in the boarding house, sometimes the crimps would take even more drastic measures, which is where the Shanghaiing comes in. Quote, I will state that there is one port on the Pacific coast that has always been known as the greatest crimping den in America. Andrew Furuseth, president of the International Seamen's Union of America, testified to the U.S. House of Representatives in 1911. I refer to the Port of Portland. It got so bad that the French embassy actually filed a formal complaint in 1901, saying French sailors were regularly being crimped there. In Astoria, the scene was similar, but because Astoria wasn't the second largest city on the West Coast, it wasn't as widely noticed. Crimps operated in several ways in 1890s Portland and Astoria. Most ran boarding houses at which rent was on credit, and when a captain needed a few able-bodied sailors, ABs as they called them, they would simply clear the house out, collecting a fee of $30 to $100 a head from the captains and often delivering the men unconscious, wrapped in a canvas tarp. If there weren't enough sailors and laid-off loggers living in the boarding house, the crimp might try prowling the downtown watering holes, chatting up customers and slipping knockout drops into their drinks. In other words, shanghaiing, a practice that pretty much all the crimps engaged in but none would ever admit to. Crimps drummed up extra business by coaxing sailors to desert while they were in port. Sometimes when the cargo was unloaded and it was time to set sail, captains found themselves buying their old crew back. Portland's notoriety reached a peak in the mid-1890s. There's an enduring waterfront story from that time about a particularly colorful crimp named Joseph Bunko Kelly, who reportedly delivered two dozen dead men to the captain of a British merchant ship. Kelly himself vigorously denied this story, and I haven't been able to find any corroborating evidence. I also haven't been able to track down any trace of the businesses or ships supposedly involved in the caper. It seems clear to me that this story is waterfront folklore rather than history, although there may be a kernel of historical truth buried in it somewhere. 
But the story is that Kelly on the prowl for ABs came across an open cellar door and found inside several dozen dead and dying men. They had broken into the cellar of what they thought was a saloon, but it was actually the mortuary next door to it, and the booze they'd been guzzling was embalming fluid, deadly poison. Kelly wrapped them up, hauled them down to the waterfront, and cashed them in. So the story goes. One imagines the ship's captain being less than pleased the next morning. Now, you might think hauling 24 bodies out of a cellar and down to the waterfront would be an activity that would attract some official attention, but not in 1890s Portland. In fact, when Portland Police Chief Samuel Parrish quit in 1892, there was a persistent rumor that he'd been asked to leave because he'd been discreetly shanghaiing drunks out of the city lockup, and had accidentally shipped out someone important. And the top Portland crimper, a hard-punching scoundrel named Larry Sullivan, once boasted, I am the law in Portland. The sailors themselves didn't have much of a say in this. No one seems to have given much thought to whether all this crimping and shanghaiing was an okay way to treat them. In fact, in 1897, the U.S. Supreme Court actually ruled that the 13th Amendment effectively didn't apply to sailors when it declared involuntary servitude unconstitutional, ruling in essence that merchant sailors were not fit to be entrusted with the full rights of citizens. In fact, the end of the crimping era would come not from the law, but from commerce. Labor-intensive barks and barkentines and schooners were giving way to the more lightly staffed steamships, and it was no longer necessary to shark up a big list of ABs. By the early 1900s, crimping, while still practiced, was kind of a dying art. And by 1915, when the federal government finally did something about it, passing their relatively toothless Siemens Act, the practice was mostly history anyway. Key sources in this story have included works by Dick Pinterich, portlandwaterfront.org, the U.S. Bureau of Navigation, testimony at the U.S. House of Representatives, and oregonencyclopedia.org. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me, you might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are Offbeat Oregon history type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com slash cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.